Welcome back, guys, to Una. Um, I'm Shivani Umesh, your awesome high school sophomore host. Um, and in this episode, we'll be discussing kind of like society's impacts on women, um, especially in sort of like a medically related fashion. Um, today, we have uh, an OBGYN on the podcast. So let's give a warm welcome for Dr. Sadaf. Um, Dr. Sadaf, do you want to add anything before uh, we begin? So I'm so excited to be on with you today, uh, Shivani. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and I'm looking forward to talking to your um, listeners. Yeah, perfect. Um, so let's start off with the first segment. Uh, let's get to know you. So, um, okay, so Dr. Sadaf, in this segment, I'll just kind of uh, ask some questions about you, maybe get to know you a bit, um, kind of like what person you are. Um, and I just try to shout out like, you know, the first thing that pops into your mind. So um, maybe what was your um, favorite TV show or like a movie that you like really liked in the past couple of weeks? Mm. Let's see. That's a great question. Um, so, you know, most recently I watched um, Bridgerton <laughs> on Netflix oh. um, and they had that whole, um, you know, this season was they they cast a, an Indian uh, Indian sisters. So that was, that was fun to watch. Um, let's see in terms of movies, I'm trying to think what movie I've seen recently. I can't, um, I know that there was one that I liked and I can't remember the name. It'll come to me though. That was sweet. <laughs> yeah, no, I was I was in love with Bridgerton when I first watched it. I mean, the first season was great, but I love the second season even more just because like, you know, the representation of like, I've, I've never seen like an Indian woman on like a kind of like a period drama before. So I thought that was really interesting. And she's been one of my favorite character, um, favorite actresses. Um, and I've seen her or Simone Ashley, I've seen her before in Sex Education, um, the other like Netflix show that she did. And she was amazing in that too. So yeah. I was just thrilled to see the the representation right there it was nice so yeah absolutely it's very cool i liked it mm -hmm. so dr Sutherland, if we got to know um you know a little bit about you you know things that you liked uh, your favorite book your favorite tv show in the past couple weeks but let's get to the heart of the conversation um i would love to hear you know kind of how you've grown as an individual over the years i mean you are sure a lot older than me so you probably have a plethora of information um in in your head that that can be shared so um first off i just wanted to ask like kind of how being like a as a woman in stem what were like maybe some hardships that you faced um in your career to becoming an OBGYN. And then I decided to pick OBGYN, which actually, you know, which is interesting about OB is that when I was a medical student and then a resident, we did not have very many uh, female physician um, mentors. So they're mostly yeah. men. And, um, and this was back in 2000. So uh, even before you were born, Chavani. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, not too long ago, but pretty long ago. <laughs> and, um, but, but I will say that now, actually, when you look um, across the board for OBGYNs, it's actually the, the field has been dominated by women now. And um, so it's definitely changed. But yeah, when I was a resident, we had primarily male teachers, male mentors, so not so many women. Yeah. And what made you kind of want to like choose um, B 
being an OBGYN? Because, like, I've seen, like, you know, just as someone, I mean, I've wanted to be, like, a doctor since I was five. But but over the years, you know, sort of my my specialty has kind of changed based off of what I w- whatever I was liking, like, every year. Like, one year I wanted to be a dermatologist, the other year, like, a orthopedic surgeon. But but what kind of made you, like, you know, choose, um, choose OBGYN? Yeah. So, you know, I, I just loved, um, I love female medicine and I felt that, uh, women specifically in like the Southeast, South Asian, uh, Indian and Pakistani communities, um, and even, you know, like Bengali and things like that. I just felt like we were, um, our voices were not heard as much, at least, especially when I was growing up. And, you know, you talked a little bit about representation and how representation matters. And I felt that way as well. Um, And also, I just felt like I I needed to be a voice since I had the privilege of being able to go to medical school and attaining a medical degree, that I wanted to be the voice of women that didn't have voices. And so I... um, I, that's why actually I chose OBGYN. And I also chose OB because it combines both medicine and surgery. So it's one of the few fields that focuses on both. And you can always, once you decide that you don't, you no longer want to do obstetrics, uh, which of course, as you know, you know, is delivering babies, you mm-hmm. can always just do gynecology, which is complete study of the female um, anatomy and organs and things like that. So that's why I found OB to be so, um, I don't know, for me, it was just a huge pull because it, it served so many purposes and so many loves that I had. And, um, and for me, one of the biggest thing is empowering women through education. And that's what I love. And that's what I love to do. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's why it was so important for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I mean, I completely agree. A lot of the clubs and the activities that I do now, like I always try to find um, representation, you know, especially like growing up there, there really wasn't much and especially like me living in a um, predominantly, you know, white community. Um, I, I really didn't have those sort of like, you know, role model, role models or like figures to like look up to. And I was kind of like trying to pave my own path, but it would have been really great to, to have someone like you or, or you know, a, a, another um, South Asian, you know, medical uh, doctor or someone um, to kind of like show me that, yeah, that this is like a career path that I could go into. It is it is possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What are maybe some things, because uh, you did tell me that, I mean, this was probably like uh, a long time ago, but you said that you moved um, to the United States from uh, Pakistan. What were maybe some things um, as an immigrant or maybe a child of immigrant that either kind of like helped or like maybe hindered you in your um, path in, in medicine? Yeah, I mean, I think so. You know, one of the biggest things I think is when you come. So I came over when I was I was actually born in Pakistan. And I came over when I was three and then went back, came over when I was five. I think one of the biggest challenges is when your parents are not, um, you know, have not been raised here and have not been, have not grown up in the U.S. It's just navigating the school system and understanding what's available, what's not available. And for them feeling secure that, you know, that when you go to school, you're going to learn whatever it is that you need to learn and that you're going to be safe, hopefully, unfortunately now with all the school shootings, yeah. but, but, um, back when I was growing up, there weren't as many and, um, and it was pretty safe, but 
I think the biggest thing was navigating the school system, right? Education. And I think that that was tough for my parents not having been raised here. And so we had to figure a lot of it out on our own. And I did that through my siblings who are older than me and, you know, helped me navigate the process of taking, you know, the ACT, and, which is what I took. I didn't take the SAT and then mm-hmm. applying to universities and then trying to forge my own path through the university system. And I always think now, as I have my own children, that, you know, they're, they're fortunate because I did grow up in this environment and I did go through the school system so that I'm able to help them and uh, mm-hmm. navigate whatever it is, you know, profession that they'd like to pursue as they get older. Yeah. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that, especially talking about like the school kind of like structure. Cause I know my parents, I mean, they grew up back in India and the kind of like approach that they take to learning is just completely different. I mean, in India, it was sort of like, you know, only the top like 10% based off of just academics could, could get into college. And there were, you know, sometimes um, bribings or, you know, all these sort of different factors relaying in, but it was mainly sort of just like an academic approach. Like, you know, if you got a 99%, like you were guaranteed to go into college, or if you were the top, like, you know, valedictorian, you were guaranteed to get into a good school. And I feel like that shift when you come to the United States and see that, that there are a lot more people that you know are that top one percent but colleges really look to see if like your character your individual like whatever you're passionate about um is is what really matters and so I guess that like kind of shift um and that difference kind of it was a challenge I guess like for for my parents even though I haven't gone off to college yet but but it definitely um kind of they had to like change their mentality sort of to to see the other side Okay, so let's talk um, about you, you know, specifically your profession. Um, I do know that you have a particular interest for advocating for um, sexual education, you know, a little shout out to your to your podcast as well. Um, so yeah, so let's sort of like dive into that. Um, so maybe what are some challenges or problems that you see specifically with like high schoolers on like how high school maybe, um, you know, different school districts deal with sexual education to, to teenagers? Absolutely. So, so Shivani, you know, um, thanks for giving me the little shout out. I, I do have a podcast. It's called the Muslim Sex Podcast. Um, it doesn't really have much to do with being Muslim, but it's just a, a name that I thought was a little bit catchy. But it's really talks mostly about like GYN talk, topics, um, which is gynecology, uh, a lot of female health, because that's what I specialize in. And of course, it talks a little bit about sex. And um Upcoming this season, I'm going to, I think, focus a little bit more on uh, sex ed and um, the different topics pertaining to. Uh, I have discussed previously on some of my podcasts about sexually transmitted diseases, you know, contraception, um, some of the things that are very important, I believe, for uh, high schoolers and young adults navigating also, you know, first time experiences and uh, the importance of um, safe sex and mm-hmm. in particular using contraception, but also using condoms and uh, preventing sexually transmitted diseases and infections. I think the problem that we have a lot of times with school systems at, at 
completely depends on which district you're in and, Mm -hmm. you know, what the Board of Education decides is uh, pertinent to that particular district and how conservative that district is. Although sometimes, you know, sex education involves our own abstinence, which, as we know, doesn't always work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't assume that children are not, and I don't want to say children, but let's say like young adults and teenagers are not, you know, participating in, um, say, risky behaviors even, you know, because Mm -hmm. they don't have the knowledge. And I think a lot of times um, teenagers will get their information from, say, the internet or Google or, you know, pornography or something like that. And they may Mm -hmm. think that that's what, sex is all about, but it's not, you know, especially with pornography, um, what we see on TV a lot of times is most of the time are actors and everything is staged. And so I think the perception is that, you know, when an individual has intercourse that it's going to, you know, feel or look like it should look like something that's on TV and which is never the case. So I think that's, you know, one of the most important things, but definitely, you know, advocating in safe sexual practices and focusing on sexually transmitted diseases so that teenagers feel empowered to make intelligent decisions about their bodies. I mean, I completely agree. I mean, speaking from like kind of the perspective of a, of a teenager, I feel like, you know, um, we all have like these million like questions going through our brains like every day, especially about um, uh, sex and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff when, when you're growing into being a young adult. But I think that what also like school districts or, or whoever is teaching sexual education um, to students also might want to focus on is making sure that those student and teacher relationships are, are kind of good. You know what I mean? Like that students feel safe or, or open enough to actually go and ask those questions. Because a lot of times, you know, you just feel embarrassed or I don't feel um, quite right asking. So um, you might even think it's like inappropriate, but like in the right setting, like it, it's not inappropriate. It's um, just, you know, asking for, for more information. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, teenagers and young adults definitely should feel that their educators, you know, are creating a safe space for them to be able to ask those questions. Okay, so something that we do in this podcast that I think is really important is to discuss about current and pressing issues in our world. Um, With many of our lawmakers and their political agendas, they often don't consult with or maybe even listen to to the opinion of healthcare professionals, opinions that should be listened to, to kind of achieve a greater um, uh, a commonwealth and and actually help the citizens of our country rather than, um, you know, hinder them. So kind of the first question that I have for you, Dr. Sadaf, is how do you think lawmakers should approach um, specifically like reproductive issues? Obviously, you know, just in the past couple of weeks, um, there there was a leaked uh, majority opinion about, you know, Roe v. Wade apparently or potentially being overturned, um, which that decision might come um, later this July. But how would... Um, but how should like it, overall in general, should lawmakers um, approach this? Because this is sort of like more of a medical aspect, but also, um, I guess, in, in our uh, in the United States, it's been more of a um, healthcare kind of uh, concern for, for some people. So, so, yeah, how should lawmakers really approach this kind of topic? 
you know, Shivani, first and foremost, I want to say thank you for um, bringing this up because I think it's so important. And also, I think that it's very important for for somebody that's a teenager, right? Because this could potentially affect uh, women in the future and actually not so much even in the future, like in the present day now and affect you perhaps later on, you know, as you're getting older or your friends or anyone, right? So I'm sure the biggest thing that's pressing on um, most OBGYN's minds are, is Roe v. Wade and that potentially being overturned. Now, absolutely, uh, you know, lawmakers, have to do their due diligence. A lot of times what comes out of their mouths, you know, I sometimes wonder where they're even getting their knowledge from. It makes no sense, you know, for example, saying like <clears throat> an ectopic pregnancy is a viable pregnancy. I mean, that just is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, to be honest. Uh, an ectopic pregnancy, I'm sure, Shivani, you probably know, but for those listeners of your podcast that may not know, an ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy that is located outside of the uterus. It could be anywhere. It could be in the abdomen. It could be um, in the, you know, most times it's in the fallopian tube, which are the, the tubes um, that, so a fallopian tube just, and I, you know, I'm not trying to dumb it down for anyone, but it's just for listeners that may not know. So basically in the female reproductive tract, we have the uterus, we have the fallopian tube, we have the ovaries. And so the fallopian, so if you imagine, I always <laughs> kind of explain it like this. If you imagine your body as the uterus, then your arms would be the fallopian tubes. And that's kind of what they look like because our fingers are kind of like the projections of the fallopian tube, which are called the fimbriae. And imagine that there's a nut, right? Like a walnut that mm -hmm. is kind of adjacent to those finger projections. And that, that would be considered like your ovary, okay? So mm -hmm. each month the ovary releases an egg and that egg migrates up through the arms, right? The arms and, um, mm -hmm up into the uterus. Now, if that um, egg gets fertilized as it's making its way through, um, then it can implant as a blastocyst and then become an embryo um, in within the uterus. Now, that's mm -hmm. fantastic when that happens. However, if it doesn't happen, if for some reason the tubes are damaged, or there's something going on with those tubes, then it can result in an ectopic pregnancy, which is let's say, let's say that that happens in the tube, right? So in the tube, imagine that those are the arms that I was just talking to you about, and that's where the pregnancy implants. If it implants there and it starts to grow, it can rupture, which most of the time it does, unless we catch it early, and then we can give a medication called methotrexate, or we can take the patient to the operating room and take out that ectopic pregnancy, because if it ruptures, it can be life-threatening to the mother, and if it's not discovered, I mean, she can die, okay? Mm -hmm. So for some of the lawmakers, specifically in Texas, for them to say, or, you know, whichever lawmakers said that an ectopic pregnancy that an OBGYN can be fined, can be imprisoned, whatever, even for an ectopic, that just tells me that those lawmakers have no idea what they are talking about. Not only that, but they do not respect the life of the mother, mm -hmm. you know, and that to me is disgusting. What needs to happen is lawmakers need to get their facts straight before they start regulating women's bodies. And in fact, you know, to me, quite frankly, I am definitely outspoken in this as an OBGYN, as a provider that provides for women. Mm -hmm. I do not believe it is the right of somebody else to regulate our bodies. Absolutely not. You know, yeah. I feel that 
women are intelligent enough to make decisions for themselves. We don't need anyone else telling us what and how we can do and what we can do with our bodies. That's not anyone else's choice or decision. It is the decision that should be left to women alone. Mm-hmm. It's their body. Why, why would we? And, you know, this is as if we were to tell men to, let's say, get vasectomies, right? Mm-hmm. We, because we decided that that was the best form of contraception for everyone. And that, you know, getting a vasectomy was much easier. And it is much easier because I've seen mm-hmm. it done in an outpatient clinic in rural Michigan. Uh, where a family doctor was doing vasectomies in their office. Um, It's a quick procedure. So if we were to compare, say, a woman getting a tubal ligation versus a man getting a vasectomy, there's no comparison. The vasectomy is much quicker, much faster, and much easier in terms of recovery. So, you know, it's to me, it just seems ridiculous that anyone should regulate or pass laws on women's bodies that, not only are they not even, you know, somebody that has a uterus, but to not even understand the physiology or the anatomy or the reproductive tract, it just, to me, it it makes no sense. So yes, Shivani, that's how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) I I completely agree. Um, And I think like more, the most important thing is that like, before these lawmakers, I mean, they have like power in their hands, they have the power to make, you know, whatever the law they want. And that's going to affect us, you know, the citizens of the United States. And before they make any decision, whether they want to make a stance on something or, or write a bill or support a bill before they should do anything, I think they should first of first and foremost be well versed in whatever topic that they're trying to um figure out whether it be uh trying to pass along gun control or you know reproductive rights um trying to like uh, enforce you know um abortion bans or, or stuff like that like you should know what topic that you're actually uh trying to like make a law on before and, and completely before you actually make a law into it especially it, being in that like kind of um higher power especially in congress like you know in the united states or, or even you know state um congresses and and state representatives and state senators like they they should be um educated about that topic or even you know consult with uh physicians or or obgyns about these sort of topics before they go out and and speak words and and try to influence you know others um yeah and i was just trying to like while you were talking trying to like recount some of the crazy things that I've heard lawmakers say, but, um, but what do you think about, um, speaking from like a medical side, like think about the Texas, um, the heartbeat bill. I think that was like a, a um, ban on abortion after uh, six weeks. So, I mean, is that like, um, you know, looking also from the side of healthcare and how that would affect individuals like coming into the clinic, um, how would you see that really affecting sort of the country if, if the entire country went under that sort of ban or, or something like that? <laughs> Shivani, you don't want me to get started. There's not. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely ridiculous, simply because a lot of times women don't even know that they're pregnant by six weeks. OK, mm-hmm. some women have irregular menses and don't even get a period every single month. So for them to even know that they're pregnant and know that by six weeks and and to decide even before that six weeks if they wanted an abortion it's it's just it 
<laughs> it results in so much hardship mm-hmm. for that woman. And then to have to cross state lines and then to try to figure out where she's going to go. And then to have protesters outside of that building telling her, you know, that she's murdering, she's killing, whatever. It's just, there's too much. There's, there's just too much, um, you know, hardship placed on women to have to try to figure out what they're going to do. And what I find amazing is that, and I know that there's been a lot of talk about this as well, is that, you know, so there's all these bans on abortion, right? Mm-hmm. All these laws about women's bodies. What about gun control? What happens once the baby's born? What happens to the children that are gunned down in their own classroom when they're only nine, 10 years old? Mm-hmm. What I, I suppose that those lives are pretty important as well, right? And those are living, breathing children. Yeah. So it's just, it's, yes, it's a lot. I think. Yeah. And kind of going off of the gun control. I mean, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic or not even at the beginning, even towards like the middle or, or, um, you know, when, when mass mandates in some places started to come off that people were saying, you know, those who were, who spoke against abortion would say, and those who were against mass mandates as well would say, you know, my body, my choice, yet they wouldn't support um, abortion, abortion. And, and they and they would rather regulate you know a woman's body so I think you know that sort of like political factor also comes in where you know you may be saying one thing but it, it's just to either support your party or, or support your um, you know political affiliation when when it's not going to help the country or you know in any way absolutely absolutely yes no definitely Shivani there's yeah, unfortunately, um, you know, politics now has just bleeds into everything. And uh, it's it's very unfortunate. It bleeds into healthcare, it bleeds into, you know, safety, safety mm-hmm. for children. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really unfortunate. And um, it's, it's, you know, mask mandates. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So, so. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to like quickly touch back on when, when you were talking about like, you know, hardships on, on women that would, um, if these like, you know, abortion laws uh, kind of were passed, like these hardships that women had to ha- would have to face. I mean, I've heard like, you know, um, teenagers, I guess, that are sort of on the side where um, they don't support abortion, kind of talking about how they'd rather have that money um, put in towards like adoption um, care and adoption um, facilities. So, uh, you know, sort of taking away that money from say abortion services or reproductive uh, services and going towards um, adoption facilities or, or, you know, foster care facilities. So like, how would that look at uh, more of like a healthcare kind of side? Like from what you've seen maybe in the past um, with like, you know, children and adoption, like are there more parents like inclined to say, uh, you know, go for adoption versus, um, you know, an abortion or like how would that sort of play out if, um, if women were, more over like forced to to um give up their child for adoption and go through a complete term of pregnancy instead of um having an abortion you know shivani i i just don't think it's ever a good idea or in anyone's best interest to force somebody to do something that they do not want to do so imagine having to carry a pregnancy that was conceived via rape or incest and then having to carry through term and then deliver and then give that baby up. I just can't even, even imagine the psychological ramifications that that woman, you know, must undergo mm-hmm. simply because 
we will not offer her the services that she so badly needs. It just seems like it's very self-serving. Yeah. And then what happens to that child once they get into the foster care system? I mean, the whole foster care system is broken to begin with. Those poor children that are in there right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like how, how much are we doing to help those children out, to give them mentors, to give them protection, to Mm -hmm. prevent them from being abused in the foster care system? How, how much attention is being, you know, given? I'm not sure I have the answer to that, Shivani. I find that it's very difficult to believe that, you know, that we, or as a nation, we are willing to invest in that foster care system when we haven't thus far. Yeah. And what about, you know, Medicaid? What about the insurance? What about, there's so much, there's, there's just, there's a lot to it, a lot more than having, you know, than forcing a woman and then just to force a woman to carry a pregnancy that she doesn't want. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, um, and, and, uh, you know, for your listeners, one of the biggest complications of childbirth is maternal suicide, postpartum mm-hmm. depression. I mean, the ramifications of carrying that, that fetus to term and then delivering and then what it's going to, the impact it's going to have on her, on the woman psychologically. And then are we there to support her? Are we there to make sure she's doing okay? OBGYNs, I can tell you right now, are very, you know, there's just not enough time. Mm-hmm. When they see a patient for a postpartum visit, they only, first of all, they only see them once, oh. twice if you've had a C-section, mm-hmm. once at six weeks and that's it. Wow. And then for that OB to ask you about your mental health, Barely, they barely ask you. So, you know, there, I can tell you right now that there is not enough support for women at all. Mm-hmm. And postpartum, none. So now they're trying to change bills and now they're trying to get more support and now they're trying to get insurance to cover, um, you know, visits postpartum. Mm-hmm. But that has not been the case. So for anyone that says, oh, yeah, just take that money and bring it there. Yeah, okay. It's- I mean, yeah, and that's not even something that I considered, you know, postpartum depression. I think a lot of like, you know, um, especially like younger audiences, like teenagers or even um, some adults like who haven't um, gone through a pregnancy yet don't realize, you know, after birth, all those effects and all those, um, you know, uh, mental or even like physical changes that um, that like a woman experiences. And that's just sort of not like really talked about at all. Yeah, no, no, it's not. And it's a very important part of being pregnant that nobody discusses and the lack of support therein within the medical system for women postpartum um, is, I mean, there's just no support. There's none. So, um, you know, I think it's very naive of people to think that, oh, yes, you know, just take away those funds and give it here. It, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, no, I I completely agree. And I think what's really interesting is that like this sort of this topic of whether, you know, abortion is ethical or not, especially going into more of like a political side and into a lawmaking side really isn't an issue to most other countries. I mean, I don't think I've seen like places like England or, you know, Norway or France and try to impose like abortion bans or, um, you know, really talk about that. It's not really that big of a part of their um, political agenda, sort of the people over the politicians um, over on that side and and how like this uh, more of a medical procedure has been really politicized here in the United States, just kind of like 
truly you just have to question like does it really matter is this really um an issue that should be politicized at all yeah and you know abortion has been demonized Mm -hmm. and and the providers that provide it right obgyns which i is so unfortunate and i think one of the biggest takeaways for your listeners is that when lawmakers ban abortion they're not just banning abortion they're banning safe abortion abortions are going to occur Mm-hmm. Regardless, you ban it, you don't ban it. It's still going to happen. It just may mean that a mother loses, you know, a woman loses her life trying mm-hmm. to get one because it's not done under sterile conditions. You know, the physician is worried or maybe she doesn't even go to a physician. Maybe she goes somewhere else. Maybe she tries to do it herself. Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. So it's not, it's not about, you know, getting rid of that. That will never happen. You'll never get rid of abortion. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. It just won't be safe. And women may die. Yeah. And I, I feel like we're sort of, you know, with these bans, we're sort of going back in time, like how we've developed as a society, you know, these laws that they're trying to impose. I feel like we're like jumping back 30 years in time to a place where, you know, we didn't have, you know, women's rights and, and stuff. So not even um, 30 years, more than 50 years. I mean, <laughs> Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973. Right? Oh, so, wow. I, I didn't realize it was that old. Well, it's all relative, Shivani. <laughs> 73 is not that old, 1973. But, um, but yeah, so almost almost 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. But even that is pretty recent. I mean, think about it. How old is this nation, right? 1776? Yeah. So, I mean, it took that long for women to get the right to an abortion, 1973, and then have it taken away in 2022? That makes no sense. Yeah. Right? Makes yeah. no and- sense. I, I, I completely agree. Um, and that's what I was talking with one of my teachers about it. And he was looking at more at it from a, like a political side or like a governmental side where like, you know, the Supreme Court, I mean, although the ju- justices move every, um, you know, couple of years, the, their objective is to rule on any case that um, that comes to their side. Right. And their ruling is constitutional, meaning that like it, it is the right ruling. And so to overturn that kind of like how do I say it? Like, it kind of like defeats the purpose of the Supreme Court. If you're like saying that, oh, this many years ago that this like issue is wrong, like the Supreme Court actually ruled wrong. It kind of like is like, well, then what is ruled right? Like, is it just whatever fits your political agenda? Um, right. So. Right. 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 It, right. It ruins the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. It puts it into question. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.